Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome to our listeners in the United States and our world community. I am Elaine Miller Karras, your host, and we are also live streaming on Facebook at Resiliency Within. For the past 11 days, the Trauma Resource Institute, which is our sponsor, their staff, along with volunteers from our global network of community resiliency model and trauma resiliency model teachers, have been providing free daily live webinars for people living in the midst of the developing crisis in Ukraine. My guest today, Vera Salzburn, has been one of our translators. She is also a community resiliency model teacher that lives in Savannah, Georgia. Um, She was born in the Ukraine, and I have gotten to know her this week, and she has so much wisdom to share with us today about what it's like um, in the Ukraine right now. Her family is, is there, and I want all of our listeners to know how much I appreciate her and our other translators who have really risen to the occasion of trying to provide as much support and well-being to our our Ukrainian friends and colleagues. So many in our global community want to help Ukrainians and may not know how. Today's show will emphasize the importance of promoting peace and healing as a global community. Uh, Vera and I have witnessed over the last 11 days since we have been broadcasting um, in California time, it's been uh, very early in the morning. In Ukrainian time, it's been uh, about 5.30 in the evening. Um, but we have witnessed such resilience, such well-being and, and strength and courage. And we've also witnessed much suffering. Um, Vera believes in the power of touching hearts and changing minds through shared stories of our human experience. And I want to tell you a little bit more about Vera. Um, she's a world traveler. Since moving to the U.S. in 2007, um, She's had the privilege of volunteering as an interpreter and a liaison between Ukrainian orphan children and American adoptive families, which has greatly impacted her perception of compassion and servanthood and helped her better understand the true meaning behind the idea of changing the world one life at a time. She is the program director for safety and resilience programs at Cantham County Safety Net Planning Council. She earned a Master of Science degree in Management, Organizational Behavior, and Leadership from Troy University and a Bachelor of Liberal Arts degree in Humanities from Auburn University at Montgomery. Vera is a mindful, self-compassion trained teacher applied suicide intervention skills training master trainer, a trauma-sensitive mindfulness and trauma-sensitive yoga yoga instructor. Um, She has trained in Search Inside Yourself program of Google Leadership Institute and trauma-informed coaching. Vera is the developer of the community-based upstream suicide prevention approach that uses evidence-based mindful self-compassion programming and she is a public speaker on suicide prevention resilience mindfulness 
and self-compassion. Oh my goodness, I could say so much more about just the nature of this lovely person, but I think it's time to meet her. So um, Vera, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Miss Elaine, for having me. And I just want to go ahead and thank you and the Trauma Resource Institute and the amazing team that's been working with um, the Ukrainian people. And it's been such an honor being a part of this effort. Uh, As an interpreter, as um, a Ukrainian, as an American, and as uh, someone who is also part of the community resiliency model family of trainers. So thank you. Yes, and, and so I wanted to start out with to see if there's anything on your mind today. And we, we um, Vera and I have already spent the morning with um, our friends in Ukraine. And, um, and it, it's, it's heart-wrenching what people are having to think about and do in terms of trying to safeguard their families and their communities right now. And so I know that, you know, we are, we both get very touched by um, what we hear and what we witness. And so I'm just wondering what's on your mind today, um, Vera, as we're getting started today together. I am proud of, of Ukraine. I'm proud of Ukrainian people. And as a, uh, you, Elaine, and I and the team have been spending time with, with a particular group of people over this 10 days or 11 days. Uh, this particular story comes to mind of uh, uh, the woman named um, Mariana, and um, she joined our call um, perhaps three days into us providing these um, sessions. And she was in so much pain, in so much distress. Uh, she wrote in the chat, I don't think I will ever be able to smile anymore. And then she proceeded with uh, our session and the entire team uh, almost felt like gave her a big hug and uh, offered her the skills of resiliency and supported her and other participants supported her. And this woman, at the end of the session, she felt relief and uh, yet she still felt some difficulty. However, she joined us the next day And the next day, she offered to sing a song to everyone live. And you could feel the sorrow, and you could also feel the hope in that song. And she sang this beautiful song about Ukraine, and uh, it was um, a prayer of sorts, uh, asking God to protect Ukraine and uh, the people. And I was thinking, this works. (laughs) Yes. It just yeah. works. <laughs> so that's what, what's on my mind, that people who are in such despair and darkness, when they're embraced by their beloved community and they have the support that they need to come out of darkness and become hopeful, um, that's what we are witnessing right now. It's possible. And I think that, you know, I think we were all touched by, by her story. And then we were so surprised at when she came back. And I even think she said, this is kind of like a miracle for me that I could have shifted so much. And that doesn't mean that she's still not living in great danger. And that's one of the things she shared to us, that she knew that she could get killed at any time. 
And she also asks the question, why, why are they doing this to me? You know, we don't have the answers all the time. But one of the things I think that, um, and that Vera was very skilled in doing and we worked together is helping her um, also see, and I say this a lot in the show, um, Vera, what else might be true for her, that she was with her family, that she loves Ukraine. Um, and I think that, that was, there was a lot of um, strength that she found when she continued to share with us the next day that she was able to touch into because she was really kind of, I think, stuck. And we helped her get unstuck, if that makes sense. Does that, is that what your recollection is too? Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you for those yes. yes, yeah. So I'm wondering right now, because one of the things that I've worked a lot around the world um, after disasters, and this is one of the first times we as an organization, the Trauma Resource Institute, has called people together to work during um, a crisis. And I, I want to mention to all of our listeners, there's an organization in Ukraine called EdCamp Ukraine. You can actually go to Ed, EdCamp Ukraine Facebook, and you can see all the webinars that we've done over the last 11 days that are recorded there. But they are an amazing group of uh, collective of individuals, and they were working very hard in Ukraine before the invasion with bringing the concepts of social, emotional, and ethical learning to children. And so they were so dedicated in compassionate learning already. And we just happened, the Trauma Resource Institute, we just happened to have a already scheduled meeting with them scheduled for February 24th that quickly became a call of action of them asking us to do um, and to help them. And so I think, you know, I just am, I am, in, I am humbled by the Ukrainian people that they immediately went into action. And so I guess I'm going to ask you about... Um, you could share a little bit about your heritage and how this is affecting you considering this invasion. I know your parents and your grandmother in, in Ukraine and many friends. Um, so can you help us? Uh, absolutely. As you mentioned, Elaine, my mother, my father, my grandmother, cousins, aunts, uncles, they all live in Ukraine. Most of them live um, in the western part of the country. Um, in the city of Lutsk. And um, it was devastating to get a call from my mom and she told me that she and my dad saw explosions outside of their window. And that's when I realized that nobody's safe. Yeah. It was a very hard moment. And I had also conversations with my mom throughout this time when she had to tell me, Vera, you have to take care of yourself because dad and I may die in this war. So we had to have these hard conversations. And my parents decided they wanted to stay in Ukraine uh, I offered them to bring them here into the States. However, um, it's their choice and I respect it and honor it. And I'm just so again, proud of my parents, of my family. Um, my grandmother, she comes to mind when the sirens were going off uh, in their city. My mom called my grandmother and she said, Mom, you need to go into the basement, into safety. 
And my grandmother said, don't interrupt me. I'm drinking coffee right now. <laughs> and then she added, give me, uh, give me a gun already. I'm going to fight. Your grandma said that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you have quite a, a lot of, of, of feisty women in your family. Yes. And uh, when I heard them and I saw them and I told myself, I can't just fall apart. I have to do something, anything. And um, I heard this from my teacher who said that the antidote to anxiety is action. And I'm thinking, what is, what is a compassionate action in this situation? What would it be to offer compassion to Ukraine? And yes, we may do it in a more comforting way and offer people um, some maybe soothing techniques and tools. And also it means uh, encouraging people and motivating them and uh, helping sustain that energy of uh, hope. <laughs> you know, I, I was uh, touched by you um, knowing that you have family there and you have a compassionate nature. I can see that you live in trying to cultivate compassion within yourself, Vera. Um, I, I admire you greatly because one of the things that you said was that you were trying to even have compassion for Putin and you'd imagined him as a young baby and as a child. And that shifted, you know, some of the, I guess, feelings that you were having directed towards him. Can you want to tell us a little bit about, I mean, that really sounds like a compassion practice. Uh, yes, thank you for bringing that up, uh, Elaine. I was facilitating a class here in Savannah for educators, um, a class in mindful self-compassion. And one of the practices uh, was um, done in pairs, and uh, one person would be gazing at another person, imagining them as a child, and recognizing the depths of sorrows and joys that this child in front of them may be experiencing. So I was the teacher of this class and I didn't have anyone sitting in front of me. And I closed my eyes and it was a very unique moment where I imagined Russian President Putin as a baby. And I started to wonder <laughs> what happened to you? Yeah. What happened to you? And uh, just as that book that came out by Oprah Winfrey named What Happened to You and just is the question we ask in the community resiliency model training was shift from the idea of what's wrong with you to what happened to you. And uh, not to absolutely not to excuse anyone's infliction of evil or pain. However, it did open my heart to a possibility of considering forgiveness. And uh, there is this poem by Desmond Tutu. He wrote, it by, he wrote it after the genocide in his home country. And it's called The Prayer Before the Prayer. And one of one of the lines from this poem 
goes, I am at the prayer before the prayer of forgiveness. God grant me the will to want to forgive. Granted to me, not yet, but soon. So I began to set an intention for myself to work toward more compassion and forgiveness. And so when you say that um, to Vera, I know that I one of the questions I often ask is what helps you get through difficulties. And in these, you know, we didn't know each other before the last 11 days. I, you know, you had become a CRIM teacher, but I don't know all the people that become community resiliency model teachers. Um, and it's clear to me that your compassion is one of the leaders inside your heart and your soul and your mind. So are there other things that help you get through difficulties right now that also um, could maybe be helpful for people who have family members in Ukraine? We also know that people listen to us all over the world. So if there are Ukrainians listening right now, what are some of the things that helps you get through difficulties? Remembering who I am, remembering my identity as a Ukrainian woman, (laughs) Uh, remembering my grandparents, using those memories of joy and hope as my resource. There is the story that my grandmother shared with me when I was little and it um, truly impacted me. My grandmother grew up in a very poor family. She was one of nine children. Her mother suffered with mental illness. So the father was the main caregiver for all of the kids. And they were so poor, they uh, truly had nothing. And as a teenage girl, my uh, grandmother was invited by her friends to go to the dance that was happening in the village that evening. And my grandmother had no shoes, not only dance shoes, she had no shoes at all. So she borrowed some paint from her brother who was an artist and she painted shoes on her feet. And when I think of those, those moments from my life or those stories from my life, of the people before me and the people before them who carried through the love and the resilience and the strength and the courage. It is my duty to continue to carry this torch with uh, an open heart and strength. And in moments of grief, I will cry. And in the moments of joy, I will laugh. And, um, just trying to be your best self and trying to cultivate inner peace because there is already so much war externally. Mm-hmm. That's what I am trying to focus on. Oh, that is just that is just the most touching story I've practically ever heard about your grandmother and painting shoes on her feet. And that, you know, the, the memory of that and the, the legacy that you carry forward it's like saying that you paint the world with your hope mm-hmm. and um, your compassion similar to your to your grandmother um, and when you, you tell us this story you know one of the things that we've talked about and we've heard a lot in our 
daily gatherings with our Ukrainian colleagues is that, um, that both things can be true, that you can have suffering, and there's certainly a tremendous amount of suffering and pain and fear happening in Ukraine right now. But what we've also seen is um, uh, the other, the joy telling us about maybe their animal or singing a song or the kinds of things that I can, if you were seeing Vera right now, she has a smile on her face, that that has also been true. Um, and, I, and I think it's important for us, you know, when you say in, in our Trauma Resource Institute, we talk about a paradigm shift, not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you and, and that's, then what is right about you. And there's so much that's right about the Ukrainian people and the way that they've cultivated their well-being, including she has, um, Vera has a lovely shirt, a pattern um, blouse on. Um, and I, when I went to Ukraine in 2019, when I was invited to come there by Ed Camp, I saw many people with this lovely, really festive um, blouse that you have on today. And I'm wondering, and this is also connected to your heritage, and I imagine your grandmother and your mother. Can you tell us a little bit about the, these very wonderful colored shirts that we see in Ukraine? Ukraine? Absolutely. And Leanne, it actually is going to be uh, connected to what you were just talking about, the duality of life. So I'm wearing a white shirt with uh, black and black and uh, red stitching on the shirt. The white cloth represents the field of life. And black stitching represents sorrow and red threads represent love. And Ukrainian culture, Ukrainian tradition is uh, truly developed around these concepts of duality, of sorrow and love being together, interwoven into the fabric of life. And also I see there's so much white space on my blouse. And in my mind, it's the symbol of opportunity. (laughs) And hopefully seeing more red threads, seeing more love. And um, that's the symbolism of this blouse. Oh my gosh, you know, no, when I was in Ukraine, no one had shared that story with me. Oh my goodness, I can kind of feel little tears in my eyes just hearing the what's happening there right now because we have seen all of that, the suffering and the joy and the love and also a lot of space. Even when I think about Ed Camp, um, the creativity of the Ukrainian people in bringing compassionate, ethical um, teachings to the children that this had been adopted by the entire country of, of the educational system in Ukraine. And of course, now our, our Ed Camp leaders, the last we heard, they were, they were escaping to the western part of Ukraine because in Kyrkiv, it's been pretty much just, um, it's being destroyed right now. And so that brings me to this, it's kind of a, 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 kind of a segue to this next question. And I'm, I think we can, we'll talk about it more after our break but is the transgenerational trauma. Um, and I want to touch a little bit about on that right now. I was talking to um, uh, a dear friend of mine whose parents um, were children during um, World War um, II. And her, her father actually had been in a 
Russian work camp um, from the ages of 12 to 16. And now her father is, you know, well into his 80s. So I saw her today at a meeting and I said, how, I'm just wondering, Susanna, how are your parents? And she said, well, they're being reminded of what happened to them. And we know that that's also happening to many of the elders, of course, in Ukraine, but really all over Europe that lived through World War II. Um, and so when we've, people have shared with us that this is happening to, um, I believe what our other translator, Natalia, said, you know, my, my family has a, had a hundred years of, of trauma I was hoping that my daughter and I could escape from it, but it doesn't look like we have. So I don't know if you just want to touch upon that just briefly before we take our break, and we'll talk more about it after the break. Uh, Yes, thank you for bringing this up, Elaine. And I grew up in a household that had a lot of trauma in it. And as a child, I didn't have this word trauma, and I didn't understand why my parents were the way they were. And... And now I recognize that their parents and their parents had to survive something horrific. Uh, Ukraine is in a very interesting geographical position. It is very much so desirable land. And uh, generations of Ukrainians experienced war, Holocaust, Holodomor, death, and it has impacted people. It continues to impact people. Recognizing it actually also personally for me helped soften my heart toward my parents. And um, I also think that this is the reason why we are seeing Ukrainians being so strong right now. They have a history of trauma, and they have a history of resilience. And I think that's the important thing that I've certainly learned in my travels around the world after disasters, is that, you know, many people have this. They've suffered so much from all sorts of things, from war, from, from, you know, hurricanes, earthquakes, and yet there's there's other part that's a dominant spirit within human beings that we can we can look for the good, look for the rebuilding, look for, yes, this is happening, but also this is happening as well. And that if we pay attention to that, how, how that might change my experience in this present moment and then the future for, my, for, for generations to come. And I certainly, you know, I think that it is a difficult spot on the globe that Ukraine has landed on, right? between Europe and Russia and all the things that have happened. Um, But I'm sure that the ground, and yes, there's been blood, but there's also been so much well-being that's been so just even in the description of your blouse and what the colors mean in terms of the suffering and sorrow that, um, and the joy that people experience all over the world. And I think that's one of the things that people have said, I almost feel guilty for laughing you know, can you laugh when you know people are dying? And sometimes laughter does come into the, you know, you hear a story that's about being human and we sometimes can laugh at ourselves or, or, or have a laugh with others that has to do with the commonality of us as being, you know, common, 
journey people of the earth together trying to cultivate this kind of well-being. So um, when we come back from from the break, we'll hear more from Vera. She'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the some of the things that we've been doing in our webinars, and also giving us more of her wisdom about how we can help Ukrainians right now. I know that many of us feel helpless. Um, I know I felt a lot better just reaching out the way we've done the last 11 days. And um, we definitely have, have been on a journey together, haven't we, Vera? Um, yes, a journey of, of sorrow, but also journey, a journey of hope. So we'll be back in just a few moments, and we will continue our conversation with Vera Salzburn from Savannah, Georgia, originally from Ukraine. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Welcome back. I'm here with Vera Salzburn. We are talking. She is a Ukrainian-American. She has family in Ukraine. We've been talking about um, her experience of being a Ukrainian-American and also sharing her vistas about how to take care of oneself right now and also her her perceptions for such a young woman about compassion and forgiveness in this world that has um, been certainly um, doling out a lot of suffering lately and in these last 11 days. So, you know, I want to say a little bit about um, uh, what we were doing in the Trauma Resource Institute that kind of le- led up to our, our meeting each other. So, um, the Trauma Resource Institute, and um, I mentioned that I had gone to rec- Ukraine in 2019 as part of um, an invitation to speak at a, a conference they were having about launching the Sea Learning Program at Emory University. And I also want to give a shout out to Emory University and the Sea Learning Program because uh, Krista Tanari has been very much a part of our international team. And so this is already something that's being cultivated within the community about resiliency skills that are embedded in Chapter 2 of Sea Learning, which as I, I've contributed to. So when the, we, we knew that the, um, the Russians were building up the forces on the borders. Um, Alexander Elkin is really the, one of the people that inspired the Sea Learning Program. And I want you all to know that he and his family are, are moving to the, to the western part of, the, of Ukraine right now. I mentioned it earlier but he and on Oleg, there's so many people that too many to mention that are in my heart that we are certainly keeping our constant concern about because their well-being right now is precarious, as you could all imagine. But anyway, we were um, they'd asked me to speak at a conference in January, which I did online. And so we were talking about the community resiliency model and how important it would be to bring it to their community. And so we were able to um, offer to them a humanitarian community resiliency model teacher training program. And so we were in the works for the six weeks or so before the invasion of getting the components, figuring out the dates we were supposed to start the first week of March. And we had a meeting that was scheduled for February 24th to talk about the translation. And some of the materials had already been translated. And so then on February 24th, we were all there. But of course, the, um, the, uh, the, the invasion had started. So we did a pivot and said, you know, we have to put the teacher training on hold, what do you need from us? And they said, please give us webinars. Please teach our people the skills. So we quickly, within the Trauma Resource Institute, we did a huge pivot. We um, got things translated. You helped with some of the translations. So did uh, Natalia and Matea is another person. Um, we just, we pulled in our troops to help us provide what we could for the Ukrainians. So in the morning of February 25th uh, Pacific time, in the afternoon Ukrainian time, we had our webinar number one. And we did four webinars teaching the community resiliency model skills. And I have to say, and I mean, I'm so grateful you were part of the planning of putting on the teacher training that you were going to help us with that and then we said Vera we have something else for you to do and Vera has another very um, full job and she has shown up and been present with us in ways that have been just Vera I just want to say thank you to get you again that have been extraordinary Um, I know that your mom and dad might listen to this and I just want to say to them you have a lot to be proud of in, 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 in their daughter um, so, uh, we went into action, and I want to say to our world community that's listening, and Vera and I and, and our group have talked about this, because I have been to so many disasters after, but during, this is kind of, to me, a paradigm shift. So far, 
our our uh, colleagues at EdCamp have shared with us that over 20,000 views have happened on our their Facebook page from what we have contributed. So to impact 20,000 views in a short period of time is is to us we are humbled by those numbers, but also humbled by knowing that there is a need for this right now, very much a need. It's not for for after. There's going to be needs for the after of this, but there's the needs right now. And because of this, you know, the horrible pandemic that has not gone away, but we all learned how to live on Zoom or, or WebEx or other platforms that gave us the vehicle to be able to respond quickly because before COVID or be, and before knowing about Zoom, we would not have been able to deliver the webinars in the way that we're de- delivering them now that we have heard from our colleagues there have given many people a lot of, sol- you know, a lot of solace and also new ideas of how to help themselves. So I'm just wondering if you have any comments you want to make. I know that was one of the things you want to talk about, about the community resiliency model. When you said, take anxiety, the antidote is action. You have certainly gone into action. So you, would, you want to comment a little bit about your experiences with this? Uh, it's been life-changing, truly. And we are learning with the people we are serving and from the people we are serving. Uh, we are faced with some difficult questions from participants. And uh, what's been truly incredible to see how the community resiliency model training components help to answer some of these questions. For example, I remember our first, one of our first sessions we had with, uh, with the group from Ukraine and one of the women, she was joining uh, with her phone and she turns her camera on and she comes live on the Zoom session and she says, I'm walking down the street and this is the first time in my life I'm seeing a tank in front of me and I'm shaking right now. And she was asking, what can I do in moments like this? And also, what can I do in moments like this to help my kids? Because they are distressed as well. And uh, Miss Elaine, you may talk a little bit more about, we had an expert dedicating almost the entire session one day, specifically talking about helping the kids. Um, But the community resiliency model training is for those moments of extreme distress and vulnerability and shock and uh, letting people know you can shift your attention or you can ground or maybe you may offer yourself a soothing touch, right, or many other techniques. So that's just one example. Yeah, and and some of them are very simple in terms of what they are because we work with the body and one of the things that happens if you see a tank, your heart rate might start beating fast. And I think, you know, and one of the things and you may start to shake. And so many of us know these kind of colloquialisms in the English language. I don't know if you have in the Ukrainian, but it's like shake it out. And Mm -hmm. so we would say, just let that come out of your body so it doesn't get stuck. And actually the shaking out helps to reset the nervous system to come back into balance. So those are some of the just very simple little things that we can share. But I think, you know, also what I'd like to do is I want to share with you some of the questions that people ask us, because today we had a very hard conversation, but um, we had 
um, been asked by the EdCamp who are coordinating all these, they're putting it out on Facebook and sending the word out that they had sent us three questions that they wanted us to answer that were asked to them for the, our team from TRY to respond to. But before we could do that, there was a woman who had a question. And the question, I'm going to just prepare you all, is a very hard question that I'm going to say out loud. And that is, she says, I'm terrified. I'm in fear all the time. What, what can I do if I um, know that um, they want to rape me and, or torture me? That is a hard question for any of us to be able, you know, to, to answer. And, you know, one of the things that, there's many things that we said and many people came together about the survival responses that happen when we are um, experiencing what we call an inescapable attack. And we talked about um, tending and befriending, um, fight and flight and freeze response. We've talked about these issues before on the show, but when I mentioned tending and befriending, I said, well, sometimes if you're kind to the person who wants to attack you, that may calm them down enough where they won't attack you. And our one of our translators said, oh, that just doesn't seem possible. If they're trying to rape you, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't stop if, if uh, you're kind to them. And then one of our staff from Tried, I didn't know this story, um, she said, you know, I want to share the story. And, and you could tell this is not a story that she usually tells, but she talked about a time when she was in a country and she was about to be raped. And she, um, she actually asked the, um, the, uh, the perpetrator about his family and what did he think his mother would think of him if he knew what he, what he was about to do to her. And that, and that moment of really tending and befriending him, of asking questions to try to make connection, he all of a sudden stopped and he and the gang that he was with left. And that was what helped prevent her from being raped. Now, will that work every single time? Of course it won't. Some people, no matter what you say, a person might still rape you. But I think that what we're trying to do is to give strategies of things that other people have told us that what we've seen after the fact that could actually happen in the present moment. But these survival responses too, aren't let's say, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. They may happen automatically. Um, and so those tending and befriending that fight, flight and freeze response has happened. And we spent a lot of time talking about the survival responses today because um, in that situation, that person may automatically go into a flight response and try to run as fast as they can away from someone even though that person may be stronger because we are designed, we have survival networks in our brain that are designed to not only sound the alarm when we're threatened, but to run away. So we try to help people understand the biology of the human nervous system. And that even with all these survival responses, there's one that's called freeze. And when we freeze, we can go into what many people describe as an altered sen- sense of reality. Time slows down. If they're injured, they don't feel the pain in the same way. Some people even report floating outside of their body, looking at themselves. And we were able to describe these kinds of things, not as phenomena that are outside the normal course of of a human being's experience, but something that that is quite common when people are faced with an inescapable attack. So, you know, with the person who asked the question, and I, you know, the other thing that we're seeing is that, you know, people that are coming to our webinars They've had lived experience before the war. And we had a discussion about about women and what happens that women and children are more vulnerable at times of war, right? Because of all the things that can happen to women and children. Um, and 
many women have sadly experienced sexual assault and rape before the war. And so what happens then, all of a sudden, that's getting reminded, you're getting triggered that that could happen again. So once we explained this and gave some of the neuroscience information about it, and also just the practicality of, well, you can also rehearse where would you go if someone was coming at you in the space you are? Is there any place you can go for safety or protection? Are there any people that you know that you could go to that could help you? Um, and so we know that rehearsing and planning is also important, but also other times things just happen very automatically. So I don't know if you want to comment about that discussion. I um, mean, that was very, I think it was very um, heart-wrenching and moving for all of us to be part of that. It was very hard for me to be a part of that discussion. I couldn't really contribute much, just recognizing how women right now on this call are afraid because they've heard stories of now invaders raping and violating other women. And and the willingness of these women the courage to bring these questions up because sometimes we don't talk about these things um, out of fear of being judged or shame and yet they brought up these difficult conversations because they were truly seeking support and help and then I'm thinking about these were individual cases of fight, flight, freeze, stand and befriend and then when we're looking at the Ukrainian nation right now, and I've seen videos of Tend and Befriend, the entire community would stand in front of the tanks coming into town and trying to talk sense to those Russian soldiers and say, look, we look like you, we speak the same language. We are humans just like you. And uh, even in that peaceful way, trying to protest and keep them out. Uh, I think we've seen the spectrum of trauma responses. And also with um, the Ukrainian president's leadership, thankfully, there's been a lot of strategic, well-planned responses to protect the country. So that's what I was thinking, that <laughs> yeah. it happens on an individual level and also on a collective level. And so, you know, I want you all to know that when we had this discussion, which was very difficult, this lasted for about an hour and there were lots of questions coming in for us. But one of our Ed Camp leaders, Anna, you want to share what she said and then what we took a moment to do with the group, which I think was important for us at that moment. One of the things that I remember <laughs> uh, that Anna mentioned that she um, likes to think of something that um, reminds her of maybe a, a, a safe place or something pleasant or um, I think maybe she was talking about it was her a movement watch. of her watch. Yes, yes. it was gesturing. Right. Our, our skill called gesturing. gesturing. That's what she was doing, yes. uh, because we've done so many different uh, modalities. Yes. One of the things she said, I use my watch that I like to look at and pay my attention to it and 
toy with it. Uh, so in that way, I'm not so much in my head, but I am in my body in the present moment. And it is a self-soothing gesture for me to just play with my watch. So we did invite participants to maybe practice a soothing gesture. Everyone may have a different gesture. Maybe rubbing your fingers against each other, maybe your earlobe or twirling your hair. Uh, yes, yes. So that was uh, one of the moments. And then another moment was of thinking of something that may will maybe it can bring you a sense of peace um for instance one woman today on the call um shared about her experience being sexually violated at a younger age and uh, she said she had nightmares about it until one time she had a dream of running away from her attacker running through a beautiful white snow field of snow and she says now every time when i just feel fear I imagine running through the snow and I imagine this just um, purity of snow and that it gives her a sense of peace well and I think this is the other thing is that what she did is something that's actually possible for everyone to do is that when we have a traumatic experience every time we talk about it it can actually change the the uh, memory of that traumatic experience and we can add things to it like even things that didn't really happened but now she imagines running through the snow or when we say one of the questions that we encourage people to think about is and this was a a a question that came up came up when you know what if you see horrific things you know what do you do and you know you want to get away it's hard to get away well so we can say if you've gotten away from that to to actually ask yourself when did i notice that i had survived when did I know that I had gotten away from that? And in her case, she imagined it in her imagination, and we can do that. And then what you, she described to us, that the memory is now changed. So instead of being stuck and not moving, now she has the, the image of getting away. And that's something that's possible for anyone to do in the present moment, and then changes the memory. So it's not the, the memory of necessarily the rape, it's the, necess- it's the memory of getting away through the snow. And she said it, think, more than once, because, of course, I can't understand Ukrainian, but every now and then I can kind of understand Ukrainian because of a word that I hear, right? So I think those are the kinds of things that we're doing in these sessions, you know, to really help people have, you know, a different experience. Yeah. But the other thing that Anna said was about women, and she asked us to take a moment of her dream of, do you remember what that was? Um, um, she had a dream that women would not have to worry again about ever being sexually assaulted. And we spent a moment after having this very difficult discussion and spent a moment imagining the, the, a world where women everywhere would always be safe. And that was very powerful. That wasn't something that we asked someone to do at the training, but someone from hearing and listening to the discussion spontaneously brought up this wonderful um, kind of prayerful moment for all of us. I don't know if you want to make a comment about that or not. Um. I think we had so many moments that felt truly spiritual and prayerful. Yes, we did, didn't Um, we? Just incredible connection with people across borders. And today we were talking about women. And as women in many different countries, we can relate to this. Yeah. Uh, maybe women listening to this session, maybe women watching on Facebook live stream, 
we can connect and relate to others' pain and suffering. So that, that really is the key to recognize our common humanity and that actually we probably have more commonalities than differences. So thank you so much for that, Vera, because I know that we only have a few minutes left and I really wanted to give you a little bit of time to say whatever you want to say right now um, you really want to leave our listeners with. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be on this, um, on this radio. And I just would like to invite you all to explore ways that you may practice compassion for Ukraine and for yourself during these difficult times. Perhaps it means um, promoting peace through messaging and uh, social media. Perhaps it means donating your time or resources uh, to Ukrainian people right now. Perhaps it means just being kind to people around you a little bit more. Calling your mom, <laughs> calling your sister, telling them that you love them. Kind of reminding you what to be grateful for in the world, huh? Yeah. Reminding of the good things in life. And also, you know, as I'm thinking about the future and the choices that we make politically, they impact. They impact uh, not only our well-being here in the United States, but they impact how things may turn out for people in other places. So I really respect and I'm so thankful for President Biden right now and for all of the support that he has shown to Ukraine. And I trust his knowledge, his decisions when it comes to cultivating world peace. So I just hope that we continue to support those people in power who truly care about making a world a more peaceful place, a more sustainable place, a place where we are kinder to our planet and all beings who live here on our planet. Thank you so much, Vera. Thank you so much for coming here in such short notice to share your wisdom with, with us and your love of, the, of Ukraine and also giving us ideas of how to be compassionate to one another. I also want to let our listeners know that the Trauma Resource Institute is working hard to secure funds to update our, our free iChill app that goes over all the skills. And we want to have a app option to make the skills in Ukrainian. We were recently, we received some funding of $20,000, but sadly it's much more than that to, to accomplish this. So if you would like to make a donation to the Trauma Resource Institute, you can designate a donation directly to help fund the Ukrainian app so that these skills can be disseminated even in larger ways throughout the country of Ukraine. And that's www.traumaresourceinstitute.com. And Vera, if they want to get a hold of you, can you tell us in 20 seconds what your email address is so people can reach you directly? My email address is Vera Salzburn, my full name altogether, at chlink.org. That's Vera Salzburn at chlink.org. Thank you. So, Vera, again, thank you. And to all of our listeners and our listeners around the world, remember what else is true right now. 
remember peace, compassion, forgiveness, and, uh, and, and the wisdom of tell someone you love that you love them if you haven't talked to them. And this horrible conflict in Ukraine is letting us know how, how precious life is and how easily life can be lost. So blessings to all of you until we meet again next week. And again, Vera Sal- Salzburn, I am sure glad I've met you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.